Welcome back, everybody, to So Every Soul Sings, Worship for the Real Church. I'm Bethany Pedigo. I'm here with my friend Rod Ellis. <laughs> and I have a burning question for you, Rod. <laughs> Can you please tell me what gallbladders and spleens have to do with our topic today? I would love to. I heard this story from my friend Mark, Mike Harland, uh, used to be at Lifeway Christian Resources, now stepped back into local church ministry as a worship pastor in his home state. Excited for Mike, and um, I know that he will finish well. Mike was talking to a, a Christian music artist who lives on the road most of the time, but was wondering if it was time to come off the road and be a worship pastor in a local church. And so he asked Mike, what do you think? How do I know? And Mike said, well, my friend, it depends on how much you like gallbladders. And this gentleman said, I don't think I know what that what? means. And, and, and Mike said, well, when you're on the road, you're taking care of business on the road. But when you're working in a church, what you do between times when you're making music, when you're leading people, is you go to the hospital and you see somebody who had to have their gallbladder removed. And that is the essence of what ministry is, I would say, between Sundays or between times when we're on stage, that we are offering to the people under our care, the kind of care that we would want those people to have. And this particular artist said, well, I don't think I'm ready yet. But it wasn't very many years later when he was, and he has um, had a fruitful ministry since then. And part of what he does is go see people in the hospital because of their spleens and gallbladders. <laughs> so I think that's just a great example of what it means to slow down from the artistry and as Mike Harlan would say step into the role of shepherd because that's what we do we just shepherd people so if you could define that pastoral care you would say pastoral care is yeah that's a really helpful question um I think pastoral care is caring for someone um where their needs are period. I don't think you have to be a pastor to extend pastoral care. I think small group leaders, inevitably, um, if they're doing their living out their role well, they're going to offer pastoral care to their group members. I think small group members are going to care for one another that way. I don't think that is necessarily the, the role of the pastor who gets to extend all of the care. I just <laughs> think pastoral in that case is not a title as much as it is an adjective. And so it describes the kind of care you're providing. And that kind of care is whatever care is needed. And very often it's things like gallbladders and spleens. It's inglorious. It's mundane. It is the stuff of life. But it's not flashy or showy. Nobody gets to know about it. It's just what you do when you take care of people. Would you also agree that it's not just an adjective, it's a role? Well. So in my perspective, as a, as a lifelong Baptist, um, we, are, we believe in a doctrine called the priesthood of the believer, which means we are priests for one another. And in that sense, we offer pastoral care or priestly care to each other. Um, there is some authority that comes with that. I, I have the authority to care for you, just as I surrender authority for you to care for me. 
and that kind of mutuality or mutual um, humility, mutual submission is what makes it possible for me to extend pastoral care to a church member and for that same church member to, um, even though I'm full-time on staff and they aren't a paid part of our church staff, they can extend the exact same kind of pastoral care to me because it's based on who we are in Christ, not what our title is at church. That's, that's, that's the way good. I would answer that. What, what, what would you say to those questions? Yeah, I think that it would be, the only thing I would add to that is, is mostly in a spiritual context, right? So people that you mm-hmm. interact with in the body of Christ, but that may not be always the church that you attend. It could be in a mm. group that is, you know, across churches working together on something like one church, for example, or the Relay Worship Conference is yeah. not particularly uh, one denomination. It's a bunch of different denominations coming together, but um, it could be expressed in that sort of context too, but mainly in spiritual contexts and places. Yeah, and, and I'm glad for that clarification. I would I would then add that it's not the same as going to see a friend in the hospital if neither of you are believers. There is a spiritual dynamic to that visit. And I don't know if I've ever made a hospital visit where I didn't pray with somebody before I left the room. I, I probably have. Um, but that's not the goal here. The goal is to care for somebody's body, but do it spiritually. It doesn't have to cross over into kind of spiritual care. One of my favorite questions to ask my friends is, how's your soul doing? That's a different kind of pastoral care. Now you're caring for somebody's soul. Um, I'm talking about simply caring for people's needs, where they have the most need at the moment, but to do so from a place of spirit-centered grace, mercy, love, compassion, et cetera. And so there is an absolute spiritual dynamic, but it doesn't have to be local to the church. Like you said, I, I talked with a, um, a part-time staff member who is a friend of mine, not at our church. And, and he was grateful for the pastoral concern I had shown him over the last few months, even though I've probably only talked to him three or four times. Um, mm-hmm. I, I probably could serve the folks in my church better, but this particular part-time staff person in another church was grateful for the way that I had shown pastoral care for them. And and so it, it really is, it's a body of Christ function. It's not a local church function and it's not an office of the church function. It's just a, mm-hmm. we are who we are in Christ and we are to care for each other. We're supposed to love each other like Jesus loves. And so that's just pastoral care. And I don't feel like it's optional. Mm-hmm. I, I think for that reason, and I'd like to hear your thoughts I think it's helpful to describe what you do as worship pastor as opposed to worship leader or song leader. I know you wrote a blog post about that, the difference between a song leader and a worship leader, but I think yeah. there is maybe even it's even more helpful to describe mm-hmm. that position or role or function as worship pastor. What do you think? We talk often on here, Bethany, about how much we both love words. Um, <laughs> words words are lovely, and, and I do love them, and I, find, I love finding just the right word to say something. But words are also a little tricky because they often have different meanings in different contexts and in different conversations. For and sure. so the difference between worship pastor and worship leader in some ways is a role of function. At my church, I am the worship pastor. 
We have um, Jonathan Cardwell, who is an amazing, amazing worship leader, and he is a part-time staff member here, and he leads worship in our cafe venue, but he's not called a worship pastor by the church. Now, he and I talk all the time about how he can pastor his team and how he can pastor moments in their service and how he can be in the role of worship pastor functionally, but he's not given that title as if it has any authority. As, as a person who believes in a pretty flat ground and the whole priesthood of the believer thing dynamically, I, I'm not really all that comfortable with the fact that I have a title that he doesn't have. I think we both are worship pastors, but I'm, I'm the guy full-time on staff. I'm his supervisor and right. whatever that means. And so th there's just a different dynamic. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the difference, however, in song leader and worship leader or yeah, I mean, in that case, I was talking about the difference in leading singing and the difference in leading people. Yes. You can, you can lead singing, which is sometimes a spiritual activity and sometimes it's not. But for you to lead people, it's, it's a different function. And so for you to, for us to pastor people, again, if we're all priests, and I really do believe that, um, if we're all priests, then we just all pastor each other. And I get pastored by you, Bethany, all the time. I get pastored by your kids. I get pastored by my kids. I get pastored by old people and little people and people far away that I've never met when I read a book or a blog or I hear a podcast. I mean, I get pastored by all kinds of people all the time because they are shepherding my soul. And, and some of them are close enough to me that, that when I'm in the hospital, then they come and see me. And, and they don't have to be on staff and they don't have to be a man or a woman or a certain age or a certain um, ethnicity. I mean, there just are, there is no, Paul said, there is no barrier. There's no Jew or Greek. There's no male or female. There's no slave or free. We're just all in the same condition. What makes it pastoral is when I care for you um, with the spirit of Christ in me so that I'm pastoring you in that circumstance. Would, would you say it's very, very similar to the word minister? to minister to someone. I think so, yeah. Um, again, words are often contextual and sometimes confusing, but yeah, the, I mean, like our country or other countries have a minister of defense. That's a whole different kind of <laughs> meaning <laughs> of that word. <laughs> different um, connotations. Yeah, the first churches I served as a full-time staff person, I was the minister of music, which yes. they imagined I would be ministering into mm -hmm. the people and the field of music. So right. it was a pastoral role. They just didn't call it pastoral care. They exactly. called it ministerial. It, yeah. So yes. so many of those words can serve in, in similar functions. I think it's so helpful to ask people what they mean by a certain mm -hmm. word and then to kind of flesh out where you thought, you know, you were coming from and where they're coming from in regards to words like that. I find that helpful. And obviously, stimulating. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Clarifying questions are our friends. And I so wish I had learned to become an expert at clarifying questions early in my ministry rather than recently in my ministry. And when I say expert, I mean, when I remember to do it, I do it well. But it's not my default. I don't immediately mm -hmm. say, oh, tell me more about what you mean by that. Yeah. But I wish I would do that so very regularly. 
because it just clears up miscommunication, which is usually, in my experience anyway, miscommunication is about 90% of conflict. And oh, absolutely. Clearer, I and, and agree. That's, yeah. And marriage and parenting and ministry and friendships, I mean, just anywhere. It's just the way it <laughs> All works. of that. Well, yeah. speaking of misunderstandings, um, what happens when you want to change something in your church? And the possibility for misunderstanding, I think, is multiplied by about 8 million times when you're wanting to change anything, actually, whether yeah. it be music style, color of carpet, color of the walls, the yeah. time you have your service, <laughs> anything. Whether really. to wear a mask or not. Oh, yeah, we oh, yeah, COVID, all that. Um, <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Um, that's, that's interesting. It seems to me that misunderstandings happen greatest with distance. Hmm. Although that's not like a categorical truth. My wife and I are the two closest people that I have in my world. Like I'm closer to my wife than anybody and she can still misunderstand me. And so closeness doesn't guarantee clarity, hmm. but distance really goes a long way towards a lack of clarity. And so if we're making a decision as a church about what time, what, what's the next service we're going to add back as we talk about reentry after COVID-19, then the people who are close to that conversation have great clarity. The people mm -hmm. who are far from that conversation have little clarity. And so it's easier for the people far from the conversation to be critical, judgmental, frustrated, discouraged, upset, angry, because they're not close to the conversation. Take that dynamic um, and, and flip it a little bit, and, and it fits with the whole pace of change and pastoral care dynamic. Um, I tell this story in, in my most recent blog post, uh, which I think is called Change at the Pace of Pastoral Care. Um, I went to see a couple in the hospital. She was having surgery. Um, I had never met them before. I had already been at my church, I don't know, four years. So they had seen me a thousand times, um, but I had not necessarily known their names. And so I walked into their room. I introduced myself. We had a fantastic visit. I think I was there about three hours. That's not normal for a hospital visit, but it just seemed like the right thing to do. And so I stayed. Two of their adult children came in. I met them. We had a, I mean, we cried together. We laughed together. It was fantastic. Well, the next time some need came up in the church and that couple who was the kind of, they were the kind of folks who would attend a business meeting or a family meeting. They attended the family meeting and, and we were voting on something that the worship committee proposed. And so I glanced in their direction and I noticed that they were in favor of it. And, and I didn't go to the hospital to win them over so that they would vote for a motion from the committee of my ministry. Oh, but good. They were, yeah. They were just close enough to me because of those few hours spent together that they trusted me. They believed me. They felt like I had the best interest of the church in mind with this particular presentation. By the way, I have no idea what we were presenting. I, none of those details are clear to me. Um, and I don't think that they felt obligated. I don't think it was like a scorekeeping deal where they said, oh, well, he came to visit us at the hospital. I guess we ought to vote yes for this. That, that's just gross. No, we are. Paul says in First Corinthians that love keeps no record. We don't keep records. We, we're not scorekeepers. We're just lovers. 
but when we love well, when we love up close to one another, then we develop things like trust and we, we believe people. We believe that they have our best interest at heart. That doesn't mean, by the way, that's carte blanche. I certainly don't want to ever stand in front of a church and, and neither does my pastor who's been here for 24 years and cared for virtually everybody who walks through the door. I don't think he would want for a minute for them to say, well, he's cared for me, so I'm going to be in agreement with him. No, 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 not at all. But they trust him. They trust his heart because they've seen his heart up and close and, and personal and spiritual. And they have heard his praying voice over their surgery. And he, they have seen the pain on his face when they share um, tragic news. And, and all of those things, John Maxwell would say they gain us leadership change. Again, I find that just nearly manipulative. It's, it's a really good, helpful image, but it's just a little, it's just a little slimy. I, I don't want to lead at the change of slime. I want to, I want to lead change at the, at the pace of, okay, these people believe me now. And so when I bring up a recommendation, they're starting from a position of trust rather than a position of skepticism. And I think compassion and connection are the ways to get there. So if you're a young leader or if you're an older leader, but you're new in your context, um, change things that nobody's going to be upset about and make them better immediately. But then with anything that matters to people, make sure that they know that they matter more than that change matters. And when that kind of bond exists, then they'll even let us change things they don't agree with. Now, not everything and not giant things, but some things because they believe our heart. At least that's been my experience. So you're primarily talking about a congregation or are you also talking about hmm. the worship team? Or wow. both? Yeah, thank you for asking me to apply that filter. Um, I think it's group dynamics. I think it's leadership in any way. I think it's actually leadership in the marketplace as much as leadership in the church. So if you are working and you're the head of a team at an IT department or you are the head of the sales force or whatever, and your salespeople think, oh, gosh, here she comes again with another idea, it's because they don't know your heart. And when they, when they believe that you're for them, then when they believe that you have their best interest in mind, when they believe that you want them to succeed, then they will be more trusting. And the only way to do that is to be a person of pastoral care. Let me keep going for just a second and talk about Patrick Lencioni, who wrote several books that I love. Five Dysfunctions of a Team was the first one that I just thought was incredible. The Advantage is a more recent book that includes the five dysfunctions kind of fellowship or, or description in short form. Um, his most recent book is called The Motive, which I have not yet read. Pat has a podcast called The Table Group. Um, and in it, he talks about during coronavirus, how their dynamic at work has changed. They, mm. uh, they do most of their meetings by Zoom. This is essentially an organization that exists with what they think. So their organizational leadership gurus. And they spend a lot of time thinking about how to help people in the workplace have organizational leadership that leads to fulfilling work and um, so that they don't hate their job. And that's kind of what they really are after. <laughs> they discovered when they weren't allowed to meet together in their office building in California, that they could have Zoom conversations. But with that came insight into people's homes. 
Mm. which meant insight into their families. And mm -hmm. so a newborn baby would cry in the background and the mom would say, oh, I'm so sorry. Let me go shut the door. And Pat would say, no, please don't. <laughs> we want to know you as a human. You you're a valuable part of this company because of who you are, not just mm -hmm. what you do. And so mm -hmm. they're talking about, as, as reentry happens after the pandemic, they're talking about ways to keep that connection so that people are cared for in the workplace in a secular work environment. Now, Pat is a believer. He's a Catholic. He's, he has a vibrant faith. He talks about it pretty regularly in his podcast, which I love. But his business is not a faith-based business, except for that he's mm -hmm. a faith-based guy. So this is mm -hmm. a principle that I think applies in any group dynamic anywhere, that when people know you care about them, then they're willing to walk with you in places they might be skeptical or resistant or defiant about walking otherwise. That's excellent. So do you have some specific practical ways to do that? <laughs> no, um, actually, yeah, not very many. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> the, the first thing I would say is, and, and this is, um, goodness, I, I feel like I should have said this long ago in this conversation. This is coming from a place of years and years and years of really well tested and tried failure. I mean, I have blown it <laughs> hundreds of times. <laughs> so I don't I think I've ever you. heard that phrase before. <laughs> that that, that so was true. brilliant. Oh, That's brilliant. You. It's just so true. Um, I, I have learned what not to do finally. Um, and now I usually get it right. Now, just because I know it doesn't mean I always get it right, but I think I've learned it. So the first thing I would say is slow down. When you're having a conversation with somebody and you're in a hurry, whatever you're in a hurry for can probably wait or something else you were going to do between then and when you were going to start the next thing can probably be put on hold. But slow down, look at people in the eye, ask them questions. Remember that you're talking with a person. One of the most brilliant things my pastor has ever said, and we may have already talked about this on our podcast because I just think it's stunning. He said, I never want to behave in a committee meeting on Tuesday night in such a way that if, if a committee member has a heart attack and I'm at their bedside on Wednesday, it's awkward. Mm -hmm. I just think that's a beautiful description of this kind of care. You are interacting mm -hmm. with humans who are going to have tragedies and needs. And some of those are going to be severe and some of them are going to be simple, but they're just going to be needs. And so you just have conversations with humans with people that Jesus died for. And the person that you're frustrated with, Jesus might have been frustrated with too, but he died anyway. So die to yourself, die to your agenda, die to your timeline, and just say, I'm going to sit here with this person and it's going to drive me crazy and I'm going to do it anyway because I love them more than I love my agenda. I love them more than I love my, um, oh gosh, I can't Cast. tell specific examples because they're, it, yeah. <laughs> The specific the examples would be that, so recognizable. Yes. The task. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Whatever that but, task is. <laughs> that's right. So slow down would be the first thing and, and treat people as if they are who they are. They are made in the image of Jesus. Jesus loved them, died for them, sent you to them to minister to them in the moment where they have a great need. Um, I would also just say, we, we talked about clarifying questions earlier. I would say clarifying questions are great. They show that you're interested. Um, Pretend to know less than you do. Pretend to know less than you do. I am terrible at this. I want people to think I'm special. 
And that's a, that's a curse of being an Enneagram three. Um, and so I remember introducing myself to a seminary professor, gosh, not all that long ago, five years ago, I was a grown up. I had a meaningful full-time ministry and I was just name dropping like he was going to be impressed. And I just walked away thinking I, I need to go somewhere and throw up. That was awful. I mean, it was just, and I wish that I had taken this advice and pretended like I knew less than I did rather than pretending like I was more than I was. People are always, always is, is such a dangerous word. People are usually ready to open up to somebody who is approaching them from a position of humility mm-hmm. rather than proving a position of superiority. Whether you're their superior or not is irrelevant. You are to yeah. submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, Ephesians 5, 21 says. So you just approach them submissively and whatever their need is, you try to clarify that as if you don't know better because you might not, even though you think you do. Oh my well, goodness. I and just, that's, that's uh, the main thing really is we assume yeah. too much, I think yeah. many times, and then we blunder through. And the fact that Jesus washed his disciples' feet before he gave them the most important teaching, I think, in the entire New Testament mm-hmm. is significant. They were able to receive from him because he didn't lord over them. You're right. Like the Gentiles. Yeah. He said, don't be like them. They yeah. lord their authority over people. But I am your master and Lord. And yet I have come to wash your feet and I, you are going I, to do the same. Yeah. And I'm not Jesus and neither are you. And we can do that too. I mean, he actually is Lord over them, but yeah. And And um, Philippians two, the same thing, you know, did not consider equality with God, something to be grasped, but gave all that up and became a slave so that he could be our servant. It's just amazing. I just want to be more like Jesus. I I was laughing while you started saying that, which turned out to be beautiful and not laugh worthy, but I'm just laughing to myself thinking, (laughs) I cannot tell you how many thousands of times I have butchered this. I mean, I sound like I know what I'm talking about, but I promise you it's from failure and it's from deep and repeated failure. And so while I may be an expert, my goodness, I have learned the hardest of hard ways. And again, I'm not faithful all the time yet. I want to get there, but I would just encourage those of you listening to be better than I was um, and, and do this. Slow down, look at people, value them for who they are, ask questions, pretend you know less than you do rather than trying to know more than you think they do. And just love them. Love them with who you are. Love them with the way you look. Love them with your words. Love them with your actions. And let that be the connection that sustains you through conversations that may be awkward or difficult or where you have a difference of opinion. I would always rather win a relationship than win an argument. And that's not always been true for me, but I am, I so want that to be true for the rest of my life and every relationship I have. The resources that you mentioned earlier, is there a place where you can link to those? If people listen to this and then they're like, Ooh, I want to read that book. Is Mm. there a way to do that on your website or? Yeah, we don't have show notes yet. And and I keep thinking about every week, I think, how can we do some kind of fundraising on the podcast so that we can pay somebody a, a week, an hour who can sit down and write show notes? Because that would be the per- perfect place to do that. I think if you Google the table group, that'll be close enough. Or if you go to Amazon and search or Barnes and Noble Books or Christian book distributors, um, I think all of those would source 
um, the advantage or the five dysfunctions of a team, which in my opinion is the very finest thing written. And I'm going to say that even though I haven't read everything, but based on what I've heard from hundreds of other people, the very best thing written about how to have um, a great working together team, the five dysfunctions of a team by Patrick Lencioni and it's L-E-N-C-I-N, I'm sorry, L-E-N-C-I-O-N-I. I think I'm not looking at it, but I'm pretty sure that's right. If you don't get it right, the search engines will help you. They'll still get you there. And then you Excellent. can always email me. Yeah, Rod E Ellis at gmail.com. In fact, uh, I would love to hear from listeners about things they'd like us to talk about. We have we're probably gonna go for a year before we do a listener survey, but I'd like to do that as well, where we actually find out a little bit about who is listening regularly. But if there are things you'd like to hear us talk about. Um, I way rather talk about what you want to hear than what I want to talk about. And so send an email to Rod E Ellis, like first name Rod, middle initial E, last name Ellis at gmail.com and let us know. Uh, I, I would just be thrilled to hear from you um, and would share that with Bethany, of course. Um, and we'll talk about it, wh whatever it is. I, if I don't know the answers, if Bethany doesn't know the answers, we're going to find them and we're going to talk about it because we're here to serve you not to serve an agenda. Uh, we're just trying to imagine what your needs are and you can tell us better than we can imagine. Yes, wonderful. Yeah, any other questions for me today, Bethany? I think you covered it with all that failure. Yeah, there's been a lot. <laughs> so it was, yeah. And I really would tell stories, but people might listen and then they'd know I was talking about them so I can't tell <laughs> stories, but I have, I have a bazillion of them. Um, let me just encourage you, listener, that this is not just about leadership and pastoral care. This really is so every soul sings. Because mm -hmm. one of the failures is when I look out in my congregation and I see people that I have done this poorly with, and it's hard for them to sing under my leadership. And that grieves my soul. And so if you want every soul that you're leading to be able to sing, then you have to keep healthy soul connection with them. And that means that you're going to, you're going to keep um, what's it a short record of wrongs you're going to keep just a, a you're going to keep these people close to you and when you mess up you're going to apologize and you're going to own it you're going to own more than your responsibility because you want every soul that you're leading to be able to sing and and please don't be like I am for at least a handful of folks in my church and, and it breaks my heart to say that out loud one of the reasons that it makes it hard for their soul to sing make it easy for their soul to sing and so care well, love well, do it intentionally, do it consistently, do it faithfully. And then, and then your church will be more real. And it might include a gallbladder or a spleen along the yeah. way. There's a so really be good prepared. Be yep. prepared. Yeah. Closing story. And, and this is again, COVID related, but uh, a couple and in our church, she's pretty active in the worship ministry. He's not, but we're friends. Um, he went to the ER last weekend and thought he was having a heart attack. Turned out he didn't. He was fine. All the tests came back okay, and he's clear. But my heart ached to get to the emergency room because I wanted to be with that family. I wanted to be able to love them. And I'm not allowed right now, and that's difficult. If it's mm -hmm. not difficult for you, then I would encourage you to do some soul work. Ask the Father to seek your 
heart, to look in the depths of your heart, to see if there is any wicked way in you, to, to, as the psalmist said, to, to find out what it is in you that's keeping you from loving like that. And, and there are people that I don't love like that yet. And I want God to work with me to get there too. That's not from a position of, of superiority. It's just a testimony of what a great reminder of how I want it to be for everybody that I get to come in contact with, especially inside our ministry, but really in our church. I, I want our hearts to ache to care for people in a way that would make us yearn to jump up and run to the emergency room every chance we get. And, and there are times we can't, and I don't mean to impose guilt with that. I just want to encourage self-examination. If it's not that way on the inside, then ask the Father to show you why, and he will be faithful. And then you do the hard work of whatever he asks you to do. Hard work, but empowered by the Holy Spirit that Jesus left with us when he left the earth. Yep. And almost every week when we pray before worship, I will, I will say something like, come Holy Spirit. I will remind the team um, in my prayer, because Jesus, you said it'd be better if the Spirit came than if you stayed. And so right. we have that power in us and among us to do all the work he's called us to do, which is so Amen. giving. Yeah. Yes. Well, thanks for listening. Bethany, thank you for your time today. Um, listeners, we love you. Whether we know your name or not, we do. We really do. Uh, we'd love to hear from you and uh, spread the word. Help us build the tribe. We want a lot of people out there who are leading worship in such a way that every soul will sing.